So I've always been interested in trying to understand why you came up with the name All Kinds of Crazy. (laughs) Honestly, between being bipolar, depressed, anxious, having a little touch of OCD, um, having seasonal affective disorder, I'm literally all kinds of crazy. And I wanted to just kind of use the word crazy as a means of opening up an avenue for people to talk about what their crazy is all about. Hey y'all, it's Onika. And JR. And you are dishing with Dainty Dish. How you doing, JR? I am doing a lot better than you because you came in from outside in the cold. Yes, it is freezing. I've been inside all day, so I'm okay. I feel good. (laughs) I've been working from home. Uh, Went to yoga this morning. Just, you know, did my regular regular stuff, trying to keep the energy positive. Mm -hmm. Um, But what are you up to? Well, we are actually taping on a Thursday right now, um, and that is my physical, my new physical health day. So instead of uh, doing the mental health day, I did the physical health. I went to the gym for about an hour and a half with my trainer, Jen. Hello, Jen from Fit My Mind. Um, She's been amazing so far, so good. Um, We did a lot of exercises. I will probably be very, very, very sore in the morning, but that's okay. And I also saw my dietitian um, because I want to work on the dietary aspect of my life. So that is what has been going on with me. Work is work, as usual. Um, but it is all kinds of crazy Wednesday when this is being aired. It is our anniversary, our one-year anniversary episode. I thought we'd have a very, very special guest on the show, probably the most special to me. Um, and that's my mom, Dejri. Hi, Mama. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's good. So what what's going on with you, Mom? Nothing um, out of the ordinary, you know, living my life. Your best life? Yes. <laughs> my, best, my best life with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm living my life. Okay. Okay. What? All right, Mama. Well, we wanted to have you, especially me, I wanted to have you on the show um, uh, for this, this uh, very special episode because I wanted to talk about mental health and me and you. And how that journey has been, you know, for the two of us over the last 10 going on 11 years now. Um, So let's kick it off with Onika when she was a child. So what was I like as a kid, in your opinion? As a kid, I would say you were very special to me, my first kid. Um, You know... Lots of questions. You, as a baby, you had questioning eyes to begin with. <laughs> you know, always, you know, looking around like to in if you can ask what's going on. And growing up, you know, you ask a lot of questions, and you know, I always have to have an answer ready for you. I have a, always have to be on the ball to answer the questions appropriately, and things like that. But you are, you're a good kid growing up. I was a good kid. Yeah, you were a good kid growing up. Yeah, that's nice to Spoiled. hear. Spoiled. Spoiled. Yes. Oh, oh, rotten. I, I love, I love when you know you get to talk to people's parents and you hear the real story. Because yeah. Onika would look at me for years. You're spoiled, but look, look, your mom just said you were spoiled too. Oh, I was a little spoiled. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. How was I spoiled though? Like, especially by her dad. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah. okay. This, this is too easy. This is too easy. This one's too easy. It seems like someone else is on Papa Dainty's side right now, huh? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. okay, okay. How did her dad da- spoil me? Her dad held her in his arms all the time. Talked to her, you know. And you know, when he, when he, when I come in from work, he's gone. And then she wants me to do the same, but I couldn't. Oh. So he put, he put me down, yeah, and, he, and you wouldn't pick me up. No. <laughs> and you're still no. screaming, Mama. <laughs> to this yeah. day, you're like, Mama. And she would scream her head off because she wants me to hold her just like how her dad would sit and talk to her and hold her all day. And I couldn't do it. I had work to do. I had washing to do. I had different cooking to do, different things to do. So I just leave her to holler. <laughs> and I had a set of pipes on me. Trust me, guys. I still do. 
So And she cried, she cried, and when she hear my footsteps, she stopped, and when I don't pick her up, she holler again, and I say, you holler, let me see how long you're going to holler. <laughs> so that was me as a baby, I was a terrorist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a little tiny terrorist. Um, who's apparently a daddy's girl. Who's pa- I was, I was at some point in my mm-hmm. life a daddy's girl. It's funny how the narrative changes all of a sudden. Okay, Whenever anyway. anyway. Um, but let's talk about the move to Canada. What was what was what was that like for for me, you know, coming from where I was, like I was only four years old, I think, at the time. And we moved to one was like Christmas nineteen eighty eight. Was that when we Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? It was nineteen eighty eight or nineteen eighty nine. Eighty eight, I think. Christmas Day. Yeah, it was Christmas Day. Yeah, it was it, it was just bittersweet. Leaving everyone from home that she was accustomed to for Almost five years, five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we came Christmas Day, your fifth birthday, I think, was, was on the 30th of December. So that was bittersweet leaving home, and I don't think the experience on the plane was favorable for her and for me. So part of the flight, the air hostess took care of her, you know, because of, you know, I, Eric, very bad Eric, and, you know. She cried and stuff like that. But when we landed, she was okay. And as usual, Christmas, lots of toys, and so the excitement and whatever, and reaching her cousin that was separated from her for a year, you know. They had a good time together Christmas Day. And how was how was school? Like, I, I have some memories of when I was younger, being in, like, kindergarten, being in school, like... I'm I'm thinking about one story in particular. Um, when the little boy said that I was dirty. Do you remember that one, Mom? Yes, I know she had. You had some problems in school prior to coming to Canada too. You had a little problems because she always used to talk as if she was in Canada. You know, especially when after her dad speaks to her, she would go back to school and tell them about Canada. And the teacher couldn't like. She didn't want to have that kind of conversation, if you would recall. Mm-hmm. And she'd yeah. hit me. Yeah. See, and then like- when we came to Canada, um, the kids said they didn't like her because she was black and she was dirty and stuff like that. And, you know, I when she come home and she tells me, I would tell her, you don't worry with them. I love you, your dad loves you, and God loves you, and that's important. They don't have to love you. And that was my answer to that question. And, you know, that, you know, she used to be quite upset. But that was my answer to her. And she took the answer. And I guess she used to tell them that. And, you know, I didn't hear much after then about the conversation. I don't remember hearing much after then. I remember being, like, bullied a little bit when I was in my my elementary school years before we moved to Pickering. Um, there was some bullying that went on um, that was really challenging for me. And I remember coming home, like, remember when Mrs. Cronin, yeah, I'm calling your name out, lady, if you're still alive. Um, Mrs. Cronin said that, why, you know, why would kids want to hang out with you when you look that way? And, like, there was, like, just little things when I, like, peed my pants in front of the entire school because she wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. So I experienced a lot of things from the teachers, too. If you remember, you remember that yeah, story? Yeah, I remember that, that, you know, I had to go to the school concerning, you know, her wetting her pants because I said the teacher should know who would try to get away from school and those kind of things and make excuses to go to the bathroom. Because she was not a kid like that. She was very particular about her schoolwork. So I had to go to the school. I had to even get a letter from the doctor to say, when she wants to go, let her go, you know? You had to get a letter from the doctor just to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom was serious. My mom got a letter for my urination, and she got a letter for my school textbooks in high school. I remember when I got into the car accident, I had the back problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she back. got a letter. She sent a letter saying I had to have a textbooks at home and textbooks at school because I wasn't carrying them. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So my <laughs> mom cool. was on the ball when it came to stuff like that. But I think I just... Going into now, I would say I'm probably like 13, 14 years old. We moved to Pickering. I think around 9, 10, we moved to Pickering. What was I like living now in the suburbs? Like, it was a different environment. Um, I was around different kinds of people. Like, what did you notice about my behaviors and, like, different things during that time? Uh, 
I don't remember. I know you had to make new friends, which was hard. And then I know you made some friends, the neighbors, and then the dad and the mom separated, and that was hard for you. Because I remember you asking me, Mom, if my dad and you and my dad separate, I don't know what I'll do because I don't want to have to choose who to, who I would have to go with and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I don't remember much. I know you had, you know, you had friends. You made friends. It was difficult, but you made friends afterwards when you went to the new school. Yeah, when I went to St. Isaac's. Um, yeah, I had some, I had some really good friendships then. But again, there was a little bit of bullying. I was developing as a woman and as a young woman, and um, I would often get bullied by the young boys because they'd want to like try to grab my boobs or like. Yeah, I remember that. Remember that? Yeah, and the boobs and stuff. Yeah, the boobs were a problem. Boys will be boys. You know. Don't say that, mom. Boys, don't don't justify their behavior with boys. No, will be boys. I'm not justifying their behavior, but um, we talk know, about boys like breasts. When the boys, you know, see it. girls developing, they always, you know, are attractive, you know, to that yeah. part of their body, and they comment and stuff. That's boys. That's boys. I, I guess. had the same thing. So, yeah. Wow. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary for me. That's true. It was it was out of the ordinary for me because I was the one growing up and kind of dealing with it. Yeah. I wasn't used to it. Um, the bullying didn't really persist in high school. I feel like I had a good set of friends in high school. Everything was going well for me in high school. Um, I was keeping secrets from you at the time, I remember, because, you know, I'd been sexually assaulted at 14 and I did not tell you about it. But um, I think what you may remember would be when I said I had food poisoning. And I was like, I stayed home for like about a week and I just, I was just sick to my stomach over the whole situation. And that's when things started to kind of go downhill for me. But I'm not sure what you recall about that situation. I don't recall about the food poisoning and stuff like that. But I know you were kind of withdrawn and I thought probably something concerning her father because she always had a problem with her father and drinking and and stuff like that, right? And I would question her. I would ask her certain things, you know, why she has this animosity against her father, right? But I couldn't understand. I said, has your father... I, I went to the part of questioning her for her father abused her and she said no, right? Mm-hmm. But some something something I know wasn't right because she I don't know she took it out on her dad or she was just mm-hmm. against her dad right so wait how hard was that for you to actually ask your dog because that's really that's, that's something that people don't really touch on and I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to touch on that right now. Mm-hmm. How hard for that was for you as a mother, as a wife, to actually like see your daughters withdrawn and then to even just say, okay, even though this is my husband and everything, I got to just, I have to ask this question. Like, how hard was that for you? It was hard, but um, she had so much animosity against the dad that that was the only thing I could have think of that would cause her to behave like that mm-hmm. towards her dad. And I just asked the question because I never used to be at home, mm-hmm. you know, other than my day off, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I work, I'm a nurse. I work long hour shift, 12 hour shift, and I would leave home like five o'clock in the morning to catch the bus to go to work. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not back until after nine. Mm-hmm. So the dad would have to take care of her, like dress her for, you know, I would have dress her. The dad would finish her as she eats breakfast, take her to the daycare. He would pick her back at 4 o'clock, up back at 5 maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I don't get in until 9. So it's mm-hmm. time for her to go to sleep and stuff like that. Life was tough coming to Canada, you know, thinking mm-hmm. of it, right? So I don't know. Just the mere thought that her father and her, you know, mm-hmm. she always with the father... You know, she would tell me things like, Dad don't deserve you, he's never at home, he don't take us anywhere, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just this, you know, about this father, there was, there this was, father. There was a difference between just, like, 
seeing, I guess, Canadian families and, and not having that versus yeah. there's a, there was a, there was a feeling like this, this isn't right. Like this, yeah. this, okay. I know okay. something was Something's not right. Not right. Okay. But okay. she never told me about any sexual abuse or I never really observed the struggle she was going through and stuff like that. Because as I said, mm-hmm. I was not at home. Like I'm not a person during the day for to accept her from school or take her to school and be with her during the day and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I can know. I can probably shed some light on where that animosity came from because I've yeah. now, you know, worked on myself and worked on, you know, things of, from my past. You know, when I was 14 and I I was raped, I felt like to some extent that it was my dad's fault because he wasn't there to teach me about bad boys and what a bad boy looked like and what a bad boy sounded like and the lines that a bad boy uses to get into your pants and to get you where they need you to be and I I resented him for that and I resented him because he wasn't there and mom you you said it you know it you know he's a drinker um and he socialized with his friends a lot. It felt he put his friends above his family and his wife and his kids and he wasn't there. And I think I just channeled all that anger and energy from what had happened to me directly like shot, like shots fired. It was at him. It was like at him completely. And it took years and it still has taken time because, you know, there's other things we're going to get into a little bit later, but it's still taking time for me to kind of, shift my way of thinking when it comes to him but just going back to you know me being withdrawn what what was your next step like so you've discovered okay it's not anything that dad's done specifically you know i'm feeling depressed i'm feeling low are my grades being affected like what are you noticing what are you seeing no your grades were pretty good but i know when you bring home, like if you bring home a 95 or, or so, you would say, where's the other five? You're capable of it. She used to be hard on her. But that's what your parents are supposed grades. to do. Come on. And she would Stop get just angry interrupt. because um, <laughs> he's not congratulating her for a 95, you know. Instead, he say, you know, well done or so. He would just ask her the other five. In the West Indies, that's what parents do, you know. So, but she used to get upset about it. She used to get upset about it. And she was very cuddly as a kid. And, like, when she goes to snuggle up onto him, he's watching his news and, you know, stuff like that. Leave me alone. I'm watching my news. And and she used to get upset. Mm. Used to get very upset. And I remember I would... Because you're not the most cuddliest person either, Mom. I mean, I don't know where I get it from. But you, it would always kind of be me coming to you, I felt, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you came to me sometimes, but it was kind of me coming to you to get that love and affection that I wasn't getting from him. And you gave it to me. And I appreciate you for that. And I will always appreciate you for that. Um, Um, but I, I want to talk about that time you took me to the child psychologist. What was going on in your head? Cause I was about 17, 17 going on 18, about to enter uh, into university going to Carleton. And I remember the biggest issue I had was leaving you behind. I did not want to leave my mom behind in that house with my dad and just my sister. And, and it, I wasn't there with you. I was, I'm very attached to my mom, guys. Just FYI. So the time that you took me to the child psychologist, let's talk about that. Well, I didn't know why you wanted to see the psychology, child psychologist. Sorry, just... time out. I hate to... So this was your decision to see the psychologist, Onika? I basically, I was feeling depressed. I was feeling low. And I, I went to my mom and I said, I, something is wrong. I don't know what it is. And we need to go see Dr. Kavadia. And Dr. Kavadi at the time was our family doctor, um, God rest his soul, amazing man. And um, then we went to Dr. Kavadia's, and he, I think I spoke to him alone. Yes. What happened is that she told me she wanted to see a psychiatrist. And I said, 
You want to see a psychiatrist? Why? But she didn't tell me why. She said, I can't talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. So I said, you don't see a psychiatrist like that. I said, you have to go to the family doctor. You tell him what's your problem. And then if he think you should be referred to mm-hmm. a psychiatrist, he will send you to see a psychiatrist. So I took her. She didn't want me to come in with her. So and I respect her privacy. So she went in and she spoke to him and stuff like that. And he referred her to a psychiatrist, a child psychologist, psychiatrist. And I had told Dr. Kavadia about sexual assault. I told him that I'd been sexually assaulted and that I was um, really struggling with it. It had happened several years before. I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. Like, I clearly remember the conversation with Dr. Kavadia. Like, I, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know what depression was mm-hmm. as a child, as a teenager. You never heard about it. People didn't talk about it. It was not on the forefront of people's brains. Anxiety, depression. I was having a lot of panic attacks in high school. Like, I'd be prepared for a test, like, super prepared, studying for, like, two months. Then it would be the day of the test, and I'd have to go into the big auditorium, and I'd have a panic attack. And they'd have to put me in, like, a separate room to do my test. Because I couldn't take the, like, the, like, stress of it all. So it was like things like that were happening, especially in my later years when exams became your life. They they were everything. They were incredibly important to get into university. And I was just like, I felt like I was failing at, at life and something was definitely seriously wrong with me. Um, so you took me to the child psychologist. And um, I remember I called him Mr. Glass. I remember calling him Mr. Glass because he was this black man this wiry black man with uh thick black glasses and wiry gray hair and he looked like samuel l jackson from unbreakable with <laughs> with bruce bruce willis so i called him i don't remember his actual name so i called him mr glass and uh, i remember us sitting down with him together yes we did and all she spoke about is about her dad and his drinking and she carried on about that and drinking. She never said anything about any rape or anything in front of me, mm-hmm. right? So I started crying, and I said to him, I said, uh, he said to me, he said, so the drinking is affecting you too. I said, well, yes, it does. I don't like him drinking, but, you know, I always would tell her, leave it alone, leave it to me, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. you know, she mustn't worry about that and stuff. So, he sent her to see a counselor or something like that. Yes, yeah, like a like a te- like almost like a student psych psychiatrist, like one of those like third year residents type of person. Okay, okay. I, I think her name was like Laura or something. Like I remember her. I remember her. Yeah, yeah. And he sent her to see the um, counselor, psych slash psych. Um, student psychiatrist whatever anyway he sent her to see somebody and i think there is where she opened up to the person but until then i still didn't know anything so because of the dad's drinking that she was talking about most of the time he asked me to see the dad and i said okay i'll get his her dad to come and talk to him but when the appointment for the dad and the dad went to see him, he's, the dad's, you know, he started telling the dad about how it affected Oniko, his drinking and stuff like that. And the dad's words were, you know, it's, this shouldn't be about me. And if I knew it was about me, I would not have come. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he didn't get very far with the dad. And we never go back. But she, I think he continued to see the person until she left for university. For university. And apparently the person probably instructed her when she go to university, you know, see somebody that would continue talking with her and stuff like that. And I didn't. I didn't do that. No, No, I didn't. I went to university. I thought, okay, I've had a couple months of therapy. I'm good to go. I'm starting this new life. I'm away from my father and his drinking and all the drama at at the house and you know, I'm I'm starting fresh. I'm starting new. But then the depression, you know, winter came. And we now know um, because I've, you know, had the diagnosis 
that my seasonal affective disorder it started once again and winter came and I became extremely depressed and I was staying at uh, you know not going to classes skipping classes staying at home not getting assignments done on time that first year I was actually at the risk of um, I was on academic warning after my first year uh, at school remember when I got that letter about being on academic you guys got the letter then I promptly changed my address but you guys got the letter that I was on <laughs> academic academic warning after my first year and then I did decide to go see a doctor I can't remember his name but I didn't do what he told me to do I, I would fiddle with the medication he gave me um, I think Zyprexa or Ciprolax or something like that and I, it made me feel weird. So I would call my mom on a regular basis and I'd be like, mom, like, this is not, this medication doesn't make me feel good. So I don't want to take it anymore. Uh-huh. You know, so we, we went through a lot of that um, when I was away from school because I was away from her. And she was my doctor. You know, my mom's a nurse and I trust her more than any doctor in the world. Fair or not fair. I mean, it just is what it is. But then let's fast forward going through school. I got through school. Yes, you got through school because you wanted to spend another year. And I told her, I'm not paying for another year. So you better graduate. <laughs> and she graduated with honors. So. I did. But let's yeah. go, before, we, before the graduation happened, what, what was the big thing that happened? December 30th, 2004. December 30th, 2004. Grandma. Oh, yes. Her grandma died. But prior to that, right? She was in a pageant at school. I remember briefly we, we remember went, that. We, she, we were invited to the pageant, and we went to the pageant, and she had a boyfriend. That oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Let's, let's <laughs> no, let your mom talk. Let's yeah, she had a boyfriend that he looked kind of funny. His eyes were like fire and stuff like that. And her aunt said to me, Desiree, that guy looks like if he's on drugs. So... We asked her something, and she said, oh, no, that's how his eyes look, and that's how he stay, and stuff like that. <laughs> so, you know, but though I'm a nurse, I never dealt with people that smoke marijuana or being on cocaine and stuff like that. That was not my area of nursing. My area of nursing was surgery, so I never really had dealings with people, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone's sleeping. You know. We don't. I don't go that much partying and stuff to know what people like when they're on drugs. Anyway, that was it, the conversation. So we never carry on that conversation, but the aunt suspected. Which aunt was this? Her aunt Wendy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She just, just, I was just, just curious. But she denied it, so... I denied it, and at the time I was on drugs. Deny, deny, deny. Unless, deny, unless deny, you catch deny, me in deny, the act, deny, deny, deny. And even so, deny, 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 deny. deny. <laughs> I started smoking weed when I was 21. Um, when I first met that young man, um, he was a drug dealer. Um, he was the campus drug dealer, and I was smitten. Uh, I fell in love with him almost instantly. I didn't discover his... Um, bad habits until I about three months into the relationship and I was going through a depression at the time and this isn't what I'm going to tell you and I think I've told you this story mom but I was going through a deep depression at the time it was winter once again and um, he asked me had I ever smoked marijuana and I said no I don't really know anything about the drug and so he's like okay he rolled it up we smoked it and it made me happy Hungry, sleepy, dope. All, all the seven dwarfs. All the seven dwarfs that made me, basically. Like, happy, dopey, sleepy, dumpy. All, all of them. All of them. I was every seven dwarf. And I, I slept. I could sleep. I was eating again. I could focus on my schoolwork. Like, I was, I was in love with this drug more than I was in love with him. To be quite honest with you. And he was my supplier. So, yeah, like, you knew, you suspected something was going on, but you didn't, you didn't know. I didn't really suspect, but I know I used to send my money. You always oh, want money for something. Jeez, uh-oh. I don't have food. Mom, I don't have food. Uh-oh. My pantry is empty. My computer. I don't have money to pay my phone bills and stuff. Oh, she 
Drag me dry. Saying that was bashful, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she told me she wanted to spend another year. I said, not another year. you on your own. I said, you better graduate or else my hands are up. I'm done. And I graduated. Yeah, with honors. With honors. Mm-hmm. I wish everyone could see the hands but folded But then you right didn't now. want to. Everyone's hands are folded. <laughs> <laughs> then you didn't want to come back home. And I said, well... You don't want to come back home, you're on your own. I have a room in my house for you mm-hmm. until you could get a job and, you know, work. You know, in my culture, I would stay in my mom's house, work, and when I move out of my mom's house is when I buy my own or something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, because, but, you know, the young people now, they think different. He stayed in, in Quebec, I think he lived. Quebec, Gatineau. Yes. Oh, you know? Yeah, Petit Peu Francais. yes. Until, but before we talk about that, until I want to talk about grandma and the death of grandma and how that affected me and what you saw. Like, tell that story. Like, coming up to Ottawa, you know, what happened? You got the call. Yes. Um, December 30th, 2004. Yes, I got the call. Like, mom died on the 30th, which is on her birthday. It was a shock to me, myself, because I had taken my mom to the, the U.S. To, and to meet my brother and to see the other grandkids, and then my brother took her to Guyana to, for a wedding. And she died like two days before the wedding. So I know Oniko was very close to her grandma. They had a special bond and, you know, a special relationship. She probably can tell you about that. And I had now to get this message to her on her birthday. So I decided that I wouldn't go on her birthday to tell her her grandma died. I will go the day after. So along with a friend and, and her aunt and so I went up and we told her about her grandmother's death. And she took it very hard. After then, I'm not sure what happened because... You know, we had to come back to to Toronto, and I left her there. But I didn't think she fared very well after her hearing of her grandma's death. It was hard. It was really, really hard. It's still hard. And I think from then onwards, she the drug use became, you know. Daily, more, more. It's yeah. funny it, at the at the funeral in Guyana. That's the first time I realized that she was high. Like that was. I was high at my grandma's funeral. I, I was high the whole time I was in yeah, Guyana. That was yeah. one of the times I was where drinking. I was high. I was so. I was so sad. I was so sad, and I just lost a part of my whole heart. And I, even now, it's been. 14 years and just even hearing that story I, I, I'm ashamed you know I'm ashamed that I was high at my grandmother's funeral but it was the only thing I had left I couldn't, I couldn't cope I couldn't deal it was all I had left and so that's what I did I smoked and 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 then um, fast forward you know, eight months later, Elaine died. My other grandmother, yeah. my father's mother died, and she was the other half of my heart. And I smoked and I smoked and I smoked and I smoked. And I just... Then fast forward to 2006, yeah. when I would have had my first episode. Yeah, so I was... For her first episode, I was... Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 do that first episode because um, yeah, can, I, can, I I get, was... can I give some context? So you were in Onika. You were in um, Gatineau. You were working, and um, your boyfriend at the time um, something happened at work. There was an episode. Your boyfriend at the time took the time to actually contact your mom. Right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's that's context. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was on my almost on my way out to work, dressed for work and everything, and. 
her boyfriend at the time called me and said, you know, I have to come to Ottawa right away because Onika is behaving funny and she's out of control. He can't control her and stuff like that. So it sounded strange to me, but I said I'll be on my way. So I spoke to my sister, Wendy, again. We were close and we were living close by. And I told her what, what I, the call I got, and she said, I'm coming with you. I'm, you're not going alone. So her dad, my sister and I, we traveled to, my sister drove, and we traveled to Ottawa. When we reached Ottawa, she, she was a mess. Her house was a mess. Everything was a mess. And the boyfriend met us and told us what happened. She didn't recognize her dad. She called him Jim Jones. And I don't know if people know the story of Jim Jones. He was um, a cult leader that poisoned a lot of people in Guyana. So, That's the Kool-Aid joke that people yeah. typically use. Yeah. Anyway, she called him Jim Jones and stuff like that. And it was hell getting her out of the house to come back to Toronto because I know she would have had to be hospitalized. From my experience and a little experience from training back home in Guyana in mental health, I knew she would have end up, ended up in the mental hospital. So we got her out of the house, got her in the car to bring her home, and she fought all the way. One time she's happy, another time she's singing, she's... And then another time she's fighting and trying to jump out of the car. And to tell you the truth, they call it abuse in Canada, but I slapped her, I beat her, just to keep, to keep her in the car. And then another time she would quiet down and then she started again. So I said, Lord Jesus, what will I do? I wanted to take her home because I didn't want her to go in a mental hospital. I knew that would be the place for her. But the way she was behaving, I couldn't. So I bypassed my hospital, which is the hospital she should have gone to, but because of privacy and everything else, I said, you know, I'm not taking her to my hospital, the hospital that I worked at. So I took her to another hospital, which is like another city away from where I lived, and they admitted her. When they admitted her, they put her in chains, they tied her hands to the bed, her feet to the bed rail, they tie her across the chest, the, the abdomen, sorry. She was in chains. I'm sorry I didn't take a picture to show her, but it was heart-wrenching to see her in that way because she was out of it, misbehaving, cursing. I never heard her curse yet. She was cursing, she was carrying on, and she was out of it. So she, they admitted her, and we left her. We told them about the drug use. And, you know, like the day after, they said um, they didn't think it was the drugs because by the time she was admitted and for the hours she was in hospital, the drugs might have gone out of her system. And the doctor that admitted her, when we saw him the next day, he said he thinks she's bipolar. So So that means there was an initial almost diagnosis that said you're bipolar, but then there were diagnoses that after that kind of drug induced psychosis contradicted that. Well, after they said she 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 might be bipolar, they asked us if we have any history, family history. And to my knowledge, we didn't have any Mm -hmm. family history of bipolar disease, and the father did not have any. History, family history that he knew about with bipolar affective disorder. So, but once the drugs came out of her system, and the, I think, and she was put on medication, I don't think she was put on medication for bipolar disease, disorder. Yeah, they was, put me on Apoval, mom. Yeah, for okay. bipolar. They put her on medication. That was the medication she reacted to, I think. She yeah, had I like have a the- skin, all over her skin, she had. Terrible rashes. Stevens Johnson syndrome. Just look it up. Yeah, yeah. For the right um, terminology. Anyway, 
for me, I read up about bipolar disease, and she had the symptoms like the mania, mania, and then the depression and stuff like that, right? But once she's well, once she goes back to smoking, she gets like an episode, as we call it, or the flare up. If she stays away from drugs, she seems to be fine. Might be a little depressed sometimes, but once she goes back on the drugs, and she always finds the dealers. I don't know how come, but she does. And once she starts to smoke, she's back again with the mania and depression and stuff like that. Yeah, so once... I went back on the drugs and episode was always soon to follow um, when it came to my marijuana usage, which is correct. So mom and I have always had this struggle, I think, in regards to, I don't know, maybe her truly thinking that I'm bipolar versus Dr. Thingarupin's um, diagnosis of drug-induced psychosis. You know, according to the third doctor or second doctor I saw, as long as I staff the marijuana, I will not have another psychotic episode. Um, but then I had a really great doctor um, after my fourth or fifth episode who was just like, no, the drugs are no longer in her system. She is still manic. Therefore, you know, this is presenting as bipolar affective disorder one. You know, that is what she has. And that was also, again, reconfirmed um, at my new home hospital um, here downtown. So um, we've had the conversation before about drug-induced psychosis versus bipolar. Um, And I, I, I don't know where you stand at this point after all of those conversations, you know, what your opinion is um, in that regard. But I believe I have bipolar affective disorder. The, the truth is, at the time when she got the diagnosis of drug-induced psychosis, I believed it was that because the episodes occur every time she goes back to the marijuana. She said, it's only marijuana. And, you know, I have to believe what she says because I can't believe different. She probably. I've, I've messed with cocaine before. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I've told right? my listening audience that I've messed with cocaine as well, but it's not. A, it wasn't as constant as the marijuana. Yeah. Okay. So whenever she goes back to the drugs, the marijuana or whatever she does, she has an episode. So I was let I, I want to believe that it was the drugs. Right. But then afterwards. Even the last episode she had that she was admitted to the one of the, you know, local hospital um, teaching hospitals in Toronto. She was on drugs prior to the episode. And I suspected that she was getting ill and I went to her house one day to convince her to go to the doctor and she put me out to the house. So I left, but I knew in my heart that she would end up in the hospital. I'm sorry. So I just waited for that. She put you out? Yeah, of our house. When did this happen? So 2016, um, when I was living in the beaches. Yeah. Um, mom came over. Our cousin Roger was staying with me for for like a week to cook for me and like man watched he was going through his own episode at the time and um so he came and stayed on the like remember i had that like ottoman he laid there and Mm -hmm. i was on my bed and he'd wake up in the morning we go on walks and he'd cook me dinner and cook me food and whatever else and so i guess he called uh candace and was just like i want to come home like onika's just like not right in the head or whatever so candace mom uh, and mom came down to the beaches and she came I was like how dare you come to my house unannounced like how dare you you're not allowed in this house 
And so my mom was just like, all right, whatever. Like, please go and pick you up soon anyway. So whatever. And so like Candace came in, she and I had some weird conversation about something. Who knows what? I can't remember now. She took Roger home and then mom and her left and kind of left me in the beaches to my own devices. And here's where I have a little bit of a problem with that, mom. And I'm going to tell you this just like it, for, like in the most loving way possible. When I'm not right in the head, call the police, mom. Call the police. Don't wait for the police to come to me. Call If you can't get me like that first time where you had to punch me and beat me and hit me and get me from Toronto, from Ottawa to Toronto, don't let it be like that. Call the police. Be like, this is her address. Or now I have my social worker. I have, it, I have it Now I have an action plan. I've put together an action plan for myself, which I still have to. I think I emailed it to you. But it's, it's signed and says, you know, my mom is my, you know, power of attorney and you know, she can make my medical decisions for me. But if there's a case, I sent it to my workplace as well. If there's in a case of an emergency, these are the person you call first, second, third, and fourth. You know what I mean? So I've come up with an advanced directive for myself. But you can't just, like, walk away like I'm not having a bipolar episode. You know what I mean? Just because, like, your feelings are hurt. Like When you were at my <laughs> house, I knew what to do because I, te- I would tell her, you either go to the hospital or I call the police. And I did it. On an occasion, more than once, more than, more than once. once, yes, that you don't want to voluntarily go. I call the police. This was that tough love stage, yeah. Because this, 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 this was like episode what eight. So this is no. This, uh, this is, uh, the last one was episode seven. Or, this is number seven. episode four. Three yeah. or four. Yeah. No, the, be- the beach. The we're talking about the beach, right? The beach is a seven. Yes, that's, the, one we're talking about. that's, that's the one that's where we're no, saying. No, but the one she's talking about is oh, like okay. just basically saying there were episodes where she had to call the police. Oh, it no, was but, but time I'm saying when you were... We're, we can, I, we, we yes, can get to that, that one. one. That, that's my favorite. Um, the seven, <laughs> no, we, we have the, favorites the, in the, this family. The, seven, the seventh one is where, you know, your mom said, you said don't come in my house. And your mom said, all right, tough love. You deal with it yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. That, that's where, I, that's where, that's where. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I, she didn't call the to. police like she probably should have. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, like episode, in that moment. episode, I think it was episode three is the one where you called me. I was like, why is my aunt calling me? Like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And I end up going up to Ajax. What was in your, why, why me? What was, why, what was that? I, I've always wondered. I've never, I've never understood that because I was the most irresponsible person at that time in my life. I guess she used to talk to you at that time, so... Okay, I guess, know, yeah, because when you were in the city... I yeah. could have convinced her, yeah, to go to the hospital, because she didn't want to go. And I guess that was mission accomplished. And she she threatened me that that day with a knife, I think. And I said, mm-mm. But you, I think you came before, after or something like that. Oh, no, no, the yeah, knives were still there. Yeah, Auntie was there, you were there... Julian yeah. was there, and the knives were still about. She like, threatened my life, and I called the police. But I think before the police came, you came. I came, and then yeah. and then she started showing me all the knives, and I was like, okay, yeah. this is this is out of my league. This is yeah. this is this is one of those. And then you and got- once she's a threat to herself and to others, the police has to be involved. So yeah, That's I've been, when I called I've the been locked up a couple times, like not yeah. locked up in jail, but like handcuffed. Yeah, so locked in the back of a cruiser. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm a nurse, and, you know, I didn't feel anyways calling the police, you know, for her, because I know she was sick, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, certain things are a stigma, but, you know, you can't think about that. You just think about preserving life, you know, and, you know, getting treatment, so. It's not that I was ashamed of anything calling the police, but I tried to avoid it, because if I can convince her to go, you know, there wouldn't be a scene, but she probably loved the scene. So, oh, I love the scene. That scene, that time, I loved the scene. I remember thinking, "Oh, Greg's gonna hate this." Oops. I love the scene. I really love the scene. I remember that time thinking Papa Dainty is gonna hate this. Oh, you're the like time, the time he's I was Mr. There? Privacy. Like he's Mr. Privacy. So I had the police. I had the ambulance. I had the firefighters. I was doing the Queens wave down the street. Like the by all the neighbors, neighbors outside. were outside. Everybody on the street was on the street, and they knew all our business. Like I just. And I felt like mission accomplished. Like, did you? I felt like mission accomplished. Now everybody knows your business. Like it was. I was a very. I was in a very like, just very, vindictive and like, 
I just wanted to hurt him, you know? I wanted to hurt him like he hurt me in my mind. And that's kind of what was going through my head during that episode. I don't know what he did to hurt you. Yeah. You, you got to tell me. I, I feel like, I again, it's just like, he wasn't always he wasn't there he wasn't always the best father and i and he knows that and i know that but i'm a grown-up now i gotta kind of gotta get over it we're trying to make moves and steps to move past all of that you know through my writing and through this podcast like i'm trying to move past it all but i just before we get into any of that stuff i wanted to touch upon that last episode and how that really affected you because that last episode you actually found out that between the ages of six and nine i was molested um that's what that's what sparked that last episode for me i was just i had quit my job um i was like basically out of money i was listening to youtube meditation scapes and i was like just falling down the youtube rabbit hole and i ended up listening to the sexual healing one that got like my memory stirring and i realized that one of uh his associates uh molested me and that have to tell you that and share that with you it took it took a long it took time it took time and it really affected our relationship because for a period of time i'm like okay where was dad but where was mom yes and you know if i have to had to live my life over again you know i would do different things and i would advise any parent you know as West Indians, we, came, we come to this country for a better life. And we just work, work, work. And, you know, the children need us more than, than they need tough things. You know, we work to give them what we didn't get as young people because we grew up in my, my household. We, my father had nine kids, nine of us, and my mom. And we were poor, very poor, you know, so... I came to North America thinking that, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up like this or my kid to grow up like this. You know, I'm going to try and provide everything. But a job I had took lots of my time. I didn't have really much time for, for, for her. And even I have two kids, the second one, you know, because I work. I work 12-hour shift, long hours, and when you... You're out, you work three twelve hours. You come. You leave early in the morning. You come home at night. The kids are almost ready for bed and stuff like that. And when you're off, you gotta cook. You gotta wash. You gotta clean. You gotta shop. You gotta everything to provide for them. And there was not much time left for them. So you know, we, I would help them with the homework and stuff, and do the best I can. I did the best I can. But the best wasn't good enough. And don't say that, Mom. You did you did the best you could in the circumstances that you were given and with the information that you knew. You know, I was the one that didn't say anything as a child that this was all going so, on with me you and know, stuff. And, so. um, when I'm at work on the weekends, like, I would say to my husband, you know, when I'm not home, stay home with the kids. Don't take them any place or so because sometimes he take them to my sister and stuff like that. Anyway, I guess this happened when the weekend he was, I was at work, and I work nights, predominantly nights, so that I can be there for the kids if the school call and stuff like that. And one of his friends, well, he said it's not his friend, it's a friend of a friend, brought him to the house, and he sexually abused my daughter, Onika. And I didn't know anything about this until... I was on holiday in 2016, and when I came back from my holiday, I was given the news that she tried to commit suicide. And that was the reason why, that these memories, you know, she recalled these memories, and, you know, it affected her for all the years, and that caused her to think. And that was it for me. I couldn't function at work. I couldn't concentrate, my blood pressure was high, and you know, I had to stop working. I couldn't work because I dealt with lives, you know, people's lives, and I couldn't function. I couldn't function. That was it for me. And that's when your own mental health. And that's came when into my it. own mental health 
problems. I went into depression and I had to stop working and I haven't worked until today. You know, I try my best to be strong. You know, I see the doctor like every month and I'm not doing too bad, but I'm not doing, you know, the best, you know, and with a lots, lots of prayers, lots and lots of prayers. And, you know, I'm doing much better, but not good enough to return to my job because, as I said, my job, lives are involved. I have to be on the ball. So I'm still off work. With, with everything that's happening, um, do you feel that, I guess, mental health awareness in this country is, is moving in the right direction? Do you think that we're, we're starting to talk about things and get things out there so that we can all be better? Do you think that's, that's happening? Well, now? they're starting to talk about it more, but there's so much more work to do in terms of educating others, you know, educating the public about um, programs that they have available for them. Because I was involved in some program, and I got a lot of help in the programs, the mental health program that I was um, referred to. But I think the, there's a lot more work to be done, you know, to help people with mental health and with with the legalization of marijuana, I know it will be very hard on the healthcare system because I think it will get into the wrong hands and that would create lots of problems on the healthcare system. It will be costly. I feel so. That's just my personal feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? But as I said, I'm doing much better. I'm not where I would like to be. But I'm doing much, much better, and Onika is doing much better right now because of the programs she has. But she had to have so many episodes before she get to the the right programs. Mm-hmm. And even now, this I think this podcast is basically you creating your own program. Yeah, it's kind of nice because I know that I've told you to go back and listen to this episode, and you've gone back and like, oh, this is where I was at this time, and it's really nice to have yeah. this kind of documentation to, yeah. you know, kind of just even your own journey and spreading awareness. Um, but how do you feel things would have gone had you had to deal with this mental health challenges back in Guyana? <laughs> Guyana don't have the she would have been locked away for almost life. That's how Guyana treated. You know, you're in the hospital and then they sent you. Then after they have you there for a couple of uh, days, they said ship you off to a bigger hospital, a mental asylum they call it. Burby's Madhouse. And you were left there, locked away. You know. Because once they, you behave like that, you're mad. That's how they classify it. You're mad. You don't need to be in society anymore. I guess over the years they have improved, but not to my knowledge. So there's so many opportunities here, but we need to create more. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. More mm-hmm. awareness, you know, of, of, of the programs that they have available and there need to be more programs in in other areas, you know? Like sometimes you have to travel, you know, mm-hmm. to another city or, you know, I don't know. And how is your family, like, I guess, I know we kind of have a, a, a kind of a tight-knit family. Yeah. How has, how is, like, your sisters and everyone, how has that kind of helped you um, deal with, de- deal with, Onika's challenges over the years because I know like your sisters you, you guys are all pretty close and, yeah. and how, how, how has that kind of being a family that's been able to communicate about these types of things and, 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 and have that type of support how has that helped you? Yeah that has helped me tremendously because my sisters they always run to my side when I'm, I'm having any you know issues and stuff I can talk to them they would listen they would give the advice 
yeah, I take what will help me mm-hmm. and and stuff. They never, you know, you know, tell me even when I put onika out, I had to put onika out of my house. I said, you're not coming. First episode, third, ep- second episode, third episode. No, you're not coming back. But my sisters and brothers were always supportive. The third time, the third episode, when I said, I'm not taking you back at home, my niece said, she begged me. She said, Auntie, just one more chance. So I said, well, for her to have another chance, she has to go to rehab. Other than that, she goes to a shelter until she gets housing. And I knew she would not have wanted to go to a shelter because I told her, I said, they're going to beat you up, they're going to take away all your clothes, and she's very particular about her things. And the experience she would have in a shelter, she won't want it again. So that will change you. That's what I told her. But they didn't want her to go. My, I was prepared for her to go to a shelter because it was creating a problem in marriage because... Her dad was thinking I encouraging her and whatever. I don't know in what way, but mm-hmm. I was enabling. Her. You were enabling, enabling her me. and stuff like that. But it came to a point where she she destroyed my vehicle, my car, my van. I'm at work waiting for her to pick me up, and she never came back. And I'm wondering, you know, where can this girl be? She knows she has to pick me up from work. And I eventually it took me like about five hours to get home that night because I had to take the bus to the town center and then take another bus and, you know, mm-hmm. two or so bus to get home. No Nika. I waited, I waited. I, I went to the police. I reported her missing. And they said they couldn't search for her she has to be missing for over 24 hours and I got to go back and stuff anyway I said I threw my hands up I said Lord you take control anyway before the, the, the morning before the night well it was after midnight I think they called me and told me they found her so I went to the hospital she was out of it screaming and carrying on as usual but she probably had told the police where the van was she ran into some something and she ran into somebody's house and you know when I thought of it I said she could have been dead so you know what it, the, the truck the van could go you know because the van was totally destroyed all the wiring everything was I drove out. the I drove the car to empty, and then I tried to set the car on fire with me inside of it because something told me that <clears throat> I couldn't get out of the car because it was an automatic car and all the doors were locked. So I had to bust my way out of this vehicle. So I took a rock and I smashed the windows of the car. Then I doused the car with windshield wiper fluid. Started to create a torch from a uh, some paper towel that my mom had in the back seat. And the lighter that had been working for me to smoke all day, all of a sudden did not work. And I swear, I swear to everything I believe in. I heard Grandma Elvira's voice. She said, baby girl, you don't have to do this. Put down the lighter, get out of the car and go get help. So as naked as a jaybird as I was, I was naked. I walked down the street Went, knocked on someone's door, random person, probably number, house number 33, because I was obsessed with the number six, and walked into their house, tried to jump in their oven, took their cell phone, was rubbing it all over my body. Like, it was a shit show. And that was another time that could have been an she episode of suicide, because I was trying to drive the car into the lake. But you could have been raped too again and, 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 and killed or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that didn't happen. I tell you, prayers work. That's all I have to say about that. Mm. Well, Mom, that was a hell of an episode. That was a thank you so much for sharing all of that with me. 
things that I didn't even know that you were thinking or feeling at the time. And I know you you are now kind of in the mental health world yourself and you're going through what you're going through. And I hope that I could be as much of a support to you as you have been to me over the last 11 years of my life. More. 35 years of my life. What am I talking about? You're like, uh, you didn't birth me. You didn't birth me. Just the last 11 years you've been there. No, like the last 35 years of my life you've been... It, it was me and you in the beginning, you know, those curious eyes looking up at you like, who's this woman and what is she going to mean to me? And you mean everything to me. And I love you very, very much. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Um, is there anyone you want to shout out? Uh, not, uh, not really. But um, what I <laughs> want to let you know is that, you know, I think that once you stay on your meds, you do the right thing and you, you, you take advantage of the programs that you have. You'll be okay. I'm proud of you. So far, so good. You're doing very well. And my prayer, I pray every day for you to keep on doing well. And you'll be okay. Keep on doing the right thing and you'll be fine. Yes, ma'am. Well, that has been the dish of the day. JR, uh, let them know how they could reach us if they want to say hi to my mama. Absolutely. Um, or just give her a shout out for being so like heroic in her her journey with me um yeah let them know how they can reach us absolutely uh you can reach us at dish that's d-y-s-h at daintydish.com uh you can check onika out on her website at onikadainty.com you can check out um more of her random thoughts on twitter at at onikadainty you can check out her visual perspective of the world at best of onika on instagram and so if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, give us a five you deserve a five thank you so much for listening we truly appreciate you thank you for your feedback thank you for uh the notes the emails that we truly appreciate you um if you're listening to us on youtube soundcloud thank you for listening to us on those platforms we truly appreciate you your likes your comments are truly appreciated thank you so much uh, we're going into year number two, and year we're so two. we're so we're so appreciative of everyone that's that's joined us that's so how far we do. on this journey. Um, Auntie Desri, thank you so much for being on on the show this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is it for me. I'm done rambling. As I said, that has been the dish of the day. I hope y'all have yourselves a very 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 happy day. <laughs> <laughs>